Hey, good afternoon. Here we go. Thursday and a great day for talk radio. As the cooler weather starts to come our way, I guess it's one of those things where the fall is finally arriving here in full flourish. Leaves are turning, looking pretty good, and uh, in all their majesty. But you know, it's funny because uh, when we talked about this yesterday, whether or not we could still refer to it as uh, something akin to our indigenous people's autumnal part of the seasonal change. Get my drift? Because we don't know if it's politically incorrect to say the, you know, Indian summer thing. And I'm wondering, what the heck is that? I mean, have we become so fraught with all kinds of guilt, racked with qualms of conscience over our, our language, the lexicon, when it comes to describing these things? There's nothing negative about that, is there? I didn't think so, but however, you just don't know anymore. You're walking on eggshells. <laughs> and so that's the silly season uh, is now in perpetuity, I guess, is what I'm saying. I know the native people may have some complaints of a Supreme Court ruling that came down earlier today. And uh, this is a very, very, well, it's a significant one. Its uh, significance is going to be felt for years ahead, as as well as in the immediate, I'm guessing, because there have to be some things that would be addressed where uh, lower courts, rather than the Supremes, have actually upheld Indigenous people's rights to consultation when it comes to federal legislation, to wit, the Trans Mountain Pipeline thing. Remember, the Federal Court of Appeal decided that this was a no-go because proper consultation wasn't done with the Indigenous groups. Well, you know, Justin could appeal and take it to the Supremes, and uh, that would mean, based on this 7-2 to ruling today, where no consultation is necessary because it says the courts would then impose on the legislative body, which has the real right to make laws. In other words, the Supremes are recognizing you can't have court-made law. You can interpret the law, but you can't have court-made law. And that's the significance inherent in this ruling, which I wanted to flush out a little more fully later in the hour, as well as uh, with our panel in an hour from now, and uh, perhaps as well into uh, another uh, foray into this topic because of the far-reaching implications of it. But interestingly enough, uh, one of the bands in Alberta that was uh, fighting this at the federal court level, uh, the Mikasu, Mikasu Cree, their chief Archie Waquan says he's disappointed but optimistic that a path toward cooperation is not out of the question. If we were just to lay down and say, hey, we lost it and we quit, that's not our way of life. It's not the way we do things. But what we want to do is make sure that we are part of the Canadian mosaic. And I hope that people that are actually watching this, you know, give us a chance to be part of your society. Let us benefit alongside you let's walk shoulder to shoulder hand in hand all right and you know what uh props to him because this is the way it's supposed to work i mean there's still room for consultation uh but the legislative process is not where it's supposed to take place the federal court had uh suggested that uh this was the appropriate way to go and then the federal court of appeal overruled that ruling saying that including the duty to consult in the legislative process offends the doctrine of the separation of powers and the principle of parliamentary privilege. So again, uh, including the duty to consult in the legislative process offends the doctrine of separation of powers and the principle of parliamentary privilege. 
That's the judge-made law thing. You can't have that. This is the Supreme, seven to two. And so uh, very much, which is why Supreme Court decisions become very important. I mean, didn't we learn anything from the Kavanaugh mess down there in the States? Uh, This is where the Miccosue decided to take the case to the Supreme Court. But all nine Supreme Court justices agreed that the federal court, the lower level, did not even have the jurisdiction to review the actions of the ministers who drafted the bills. And I believe these bills had to do with environmental assessments. And I think Joe Oliver was the point man in the Harper conservative government at the time. Uh, You know, it was where uh, basically one assessment meant the project would go ahead. And uh, this now has been turned on its ear from where the lower courts have started to make rulings, as we saw with the Trans Mountain Pipeline deal. And uh, according to the Supreme Court judges, at least the majority seven, there's no such obligation during the lawmaking process to consult. Interesting, as I say, and it has far-reaching consequences, what this will mean for Trans Mountain going forward and whether or not the Trudeau government picks up the ball on this and decides to appeal to the Supremes rather sooner rather than later, uh, I'd say get on your horse. <laughs> of course, he's on the horns of a dilemma in another case that we've been talking about over the last couple of days, where Stuart Bell here at Global News has had an exclusive with an ISIS terrorist who, born in Pakistan, but he lives in Mississauga, and he wants to come home because the Kurds captured him in northeastern Syria along with his bride and his two kids. He's had the two kids while he's been over there doing the... Uh, dastardly deeds of isis since 2014 his name wait for it is muhammad ali and uh in fact this is where trudeau's on the horns of a dilemma because uh there's talk of repatriating the dude and i think that would militate against the conscience of a lot of canadians on the other hand trudeau has been famous for uh uttering those words a canadian is a canadian is a canadian and since the guy has a canadian passport and citizenship, I believe, uh, they're not going to strip him of that and tell him to get the hell back to Pakistan or let the Kurds deal with him at the end of a rope, hopefully. You know, this is where we get into uh, the tricky cases of the law. I can see Trudeau right now in the House of Commons staging his own version of Les Mis singing, Bring him home. He's just a boy. Anyway. Or he'll wait until Christmas Eve under the cover of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Nobody's paying attention. Everybody's drugged up on cannabinoids. It's a singing theme today. Well, it's a song theme. I'm not sure if that's what it is, but uh, this is something that, again, uh, it really does bug a lot of Canadians that we sit here and uh, we do all the hand wringing and the leader of this nation, the peaceful kingdom, decides that these kinds of guys deserve another break and should come home. And then there's the case of their brides and the kids. And I believe the kids ought to be taken away by the Children's Aid Society. I mean, families have been torn asunder for far less than that pops a terrorist and a killer sniper, and he's been trying to recruit others in the West to the ISIS cause. That's the father of the year right there, isn't it? Anyway, this is where it gets interesting, too, because the Canadian wife of a Lebanese ISIS member says she can't be held responsible for something that she didn't do. I never hurt anyone. I never shot anyone. I never killed anyone. And I never did anything horrible to anyone. Just the fact that I went there, you know, that's like the biggest thing. And I didn't know how to shoot a gun. I don't know nothing. Yeah, okay. Sergeant Schultz. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how to shoot. It doesn't matter. You were giving comfort to the enemy. That's enough for me. I'm so hard-hearted. 
actually I'm not. I got to tell you, there's another story of a mother here, and uh, it's rather heartrending insofar as if memory serves, you might recall back in the winter, it was late February, where a, a three-year-old was swept away by the flooding Grand River near Orangeville. Well, the mother of this three-year-old is now facing charges. The mother's name, Michelle Hansen. And uh, it was at night. She drove past st- uh, signs and pylons that were talking about uh, alerting that the road in this community of Waldemar had been closed. And she ends up in the Grand River, which was swollen at the time. And while she gets her three-year-old Caden out, Caden Young, the current swept the kid away. This was a minivan, and she dropped it into the drink because she wasn't paying attention. As I say, she was able to free herself and her kid, but the kid was uh, swept away by the current. His body discovered nearly two months later in Bellwood Lake. That was April 21st. The OPP said following a thorough investigation, Michelle Hansen has been charged with impaired driving causing death, dangerous driving causing death, and criminal negligence causing death. She's going to make a court appearance in Orangeville November 6th. Now, you see, this is where I get into a dilemma of my own because I'm thinking as much as she is at fault here, or it seems to be the case, these are all still allegations, of course, but uh, since the kid is now dead and uh, mother was responsible for putting this minivan into the water uh, and they're charging her with impaired driving causing death, my guess is there was some kind of toxicology test run on her in the immediate aftermath. But should she face any jail time? Or should leniency be shown because she's already suffered enough? I mean, she lost a three-year-old. What more can you do? Horrible, horrible situation. Really, I mean, oh, I remember when this story broke, and you just, you know, you, you feel for the kid, you feel for the mom, you feel for the family, and now we know this. Well, all right. Uh, do we feel enough to say uh, this is something for which she ought to be given an exemption because under the law, of course, she could face jail time. We've seen it in the past, criminal negligence causing death, you know, impaired driving causing death, dangerous driving causing death, three counts. It did seem a little curious. I remember at the time, how is that possible? You don't see, I mean, there must be so many things and then we're up on the road to say, don't go through here, don't go through here, danger, danger. Okay, but that's already established fact. I'm just asking now, in the aftermath of these charges, if she is in fact convicted when she has a court date November 6th, you know, this is the kind of stuff that would draw you a jail sentence. That's irrefutable. And so uh, would you send her to jail? Is there any point or purpose to doing that, given that she's probably racked now with all kinds of matters of conscience and guilt? I'm guessing she's living her own personal torment and will for the rest of her naturals. So does it make sense to put her in jail? I mean, is there a point to doing that in that justice must be seen to be done? Uh, for the edification of the public, the broader public. You don't want to cut her a break here because despite the circumstances surrounding this and the loss of her child, anybody else would go to the Huskow, so she should be treated no differently. I believe, and I maintain, uh, it's probably not to anyone's benefit to incarcerate her, the cost alone, but beyond that, it's obviously, and I don't even call it the milk of human kindness, it's just understanding in the context of things You know, if we seek to punish people, I mean, the punishment is already meted out in the fact that she may have been, you know, complicit in her own kid's death. Now, unless you can show that this was done willfully, but I doubt it. I mean, the impairment, 
this pisses me off that, you know, there's a, a case to be made here that she was impaired, and that's the reason the outcome was so tragic. It's unforgivable, but again, what penalty? I mean, can anything even be analogous to losing your own kid? Again, allegedly at your own hands. That's something for which she'll never be exonerated in that sense. Let me take some calls on this. I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts because uh, we've got a series of cases that uh, will be before the courts. I'm sure this Muhammad Ali will be repatriated, as I said, sometime around Christmas under stealth of, you know, bonhomie and goodwill towards men and everything. Trudeau would pull that kind of a stunt. You know, politicians, they're always in the crosshairs of somebody, aren't they? Warren Smokey Thomas, by the way, is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he, the leader of OPSU, who's actually called out Doug Ford because he feels that Doug Ford's model for dispensing marijuana when it's legalized, as you know, next Wednesday in six days, is the wrong model. Smokey Thomas representing OPSU. These were the workers that were geared up to uh, be handling the Cannabis Control Board of Ontario mortar and bricks operations and now he feels left out he says he dislikes ford's plans for distribution and he's actually thrown down the gauntlet i'd like to issue this challenge um premier i'll debate you anytime anywhere you can stack the room with your army of staffers that clap and your consultants and you can go on about elitists but it won't help facts are facts and when it comes to selling cannabis doug's plan is just plain wacky we need a better choice. We need a responsible plan. Doug says he's given the cities and towns a choice on cannabis, but it's really a choice between private retailers and the black market. A choice between bad and worse is no choice at all. It's kind of like choosing between him and Kathleen Wynne. All right. Well, he's including everybody in there. Uh, might be actually taking his cues from Conor McGregor and watching too much MMA, but uh, throwing down the gauntlet. As I say, he's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. They've just been buttressed, I guess, uh, by a Nano's public opinion poll that uh, talks about privatized cannabis and liquor sales. And uh, give you a hint, uh, it falls in the favor of Opsu, which is why he's crowing about it right now. But he's going to tell us. All about it here in moments. First, I want to hear from you on the matter of this woman whose child was swept away, found two months later, drowned. Unfortunate as it was, mom may have been complicit or directly responsible for that death. She's been charged accordingly. Uh, it's still presumption of innocence, but November 6th is when she's in court in Orangeville. My question, if she is convicted, should she face any jail time or has she already suffered enough and will going forward continue to uh, be going forward? Your thoughts quickly, 870-6400, 870-6400. Star 640 on cell.